As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show and our weekend review. We're looking back on a weekend where Pep and Klopp had a battle at the top and Liverpool had a high line that just wouldn't drop, where Carlos Vela found the holes to score some offside goals in an LA derby where the Galaxy ultimately held the controls, where Barcelona left it late, Man United are in a bit of a state and the Serie A title race is looking pretty darn great. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who would never, ever knock a cell phone out of a child's hands. I hope, Taylor Rockwell. I mean, I'm too busy trying to keep my own in my hands. It's been a while since I had to replace my screen, which feels like I've just cursed myself into breaking it immediately. But no, I would also not knock it out of the hands of a child. And if I did, I wouldn't take to social media to issue a generic apology that isn't quite an apology. That is exactly what Cristiano Ronaldo had to do, Taylor, after Everton's win over Manchester United, apologising for hitting the phone out of the child's hands. A police investigation has been opened as a matter of assault, apparently. And Ronaldo, did you see his response, uh, Taylor, what he what he did on Instagram? It, wasn't it basically just like, I'd like to invite the the young person to attend Old Trafford in the spirit of sportsmanship, I think is what Gary Lineker read without any emotion and then stared at the camera a la Jim from The Office for five seconds. <laughs> yeah, the kid who obviously wants at least one iPhone 13 Pro is getting to go and see a terrible team instead. Good trip. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> also joining us, Taylor, is a man who is as cool on the mic as Edison is casually clearing a loose ball from his own goal line. Graham Rusman, Hello. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that is a pretty apt analogy because there's lots, a lot of ums and as and stutters and so on in my, in my podcast performance. And there was certainly a stutter as Ederson very nearly ran the ball into his own net in yesterday's game between Liverpool and Manchester City. Everyone seemed to be in a panic about it apart from him. So maybe that is where the, uh, the analogy end, the comparison ends, because I definitely would be in a panic about that. It's it's like he's just built differently, isn't it, Graham? He's not he's not wired the same as you and I. Like when Trent had that long shot for yeah. about forty yards, and he stopped it with his chest as like this massive flex as well. I was like, come on, guy. It was, and that that was the moment where I think I said in our Slack chat, he is not normal. Like, just catch that ball. Why? There's no need to do to put your chest behind it. There's so many things that can go wrong with that. Trying to control it in that way, yeah, he's. He's he's not normal at all. You know the cliche about you have to be mad to be a goalkeeper. Well, uh, yeah, that certainly applies to Ederson. Well, I'll tell you who's uh, perfectly normal, apart from the fact that he said he'd like me to strum his banjo in front of <laughs> thousands of people over the weekend. Hello, Joe Lowry. <laughs> Hello, Ryan. Are, are you are you not interested in doing that anymore? I'm confused. <laughs> oh, I'm totally interested. I want to do it again. <laughs> okay, perfect. Then, then we agree. I guess, I guess Graham and I will just leave, and you two can do your own thing today. Okay. I think that's where Separate this is pod. going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before we get to business, by the way, Graham, I'm going to come back to you. In our Slack chat, you said uh, you've never been to a wedding besides your own. Explain yourself. Uh, is there much more to explain? <laughs> my wedding was the first wedding I'd ever been to in my life. I, and I still, have... like, not any family members, no so, friends? No, so I've got I've got a wedding. Uh, one of my friends is getting married, married this summer, but that'll be the first one that I have uh, I've been to that wasn't my own. I don't have many family, uh, much family, and I don't really have any friends apart from you guys. And you guys live on the other side of the world, so <laughs> it, 
<laughs> uh, I mean, Joe, you are um, you're a small child. How many weddings have you been to? I've been to maybe three, I think. Uh, different Ooh. different family members and and things like that. But I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, Graham. I guess I'm not sure where to go from. I mean, there. yeah. I wouldn't apologize. He's not missing that much. I'd argue. Well, crisp walls. Crisp walls. Yeah, that's what prompted this conversation. I need to know if if that is actually a thing. If British weddings do indeed feature chip slash crisp walls, because if so, uh, that that that's you're missing out, that's, Graham. You're really missing yeah. out. And Taylor, just that's paint a picture just... of what that is. Uh, it's a. It seems to be an artificial wall with a uh, bunch of bags of chips hanging from it, which you all insist on calling crisps. Yeah, that that's just actually building code in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was perfectly up to code. The image that you sent through. Um, why don't we stop talking about chip or crisp walls and get to the action of the weekend? Headline game, of course, Man City two, Liverpool two, De Bruyne and Jesus for City, Jota and Mane for Liverpool. Still a point separating these two teams with seven games to go. Uh, Joe, we could have had um, we could have had a game that went either way here. This is kind of what I said on the Bleach Report show we did on Sunday as well that. This game could have gone two ways. Either these two teams would have cancelled each other out and it would have been gritty and determined, maybe a nil-nil, a tense deadlock, or we could have got some thrilling soccer. And that's what we got, didn't we, Joe? Darn right we did. This was maybe the game of the season for me, or if not the game of the season, one of the games of the Premier League season. Just phenomenal, right? This game totally lived up to its billing, played by maybe the two best teams in all of Europe and all of the world right now at the club level. City started out really well. They they get that chance from Raheem Sterling early on, and then it's the goal from Kevin De Bruyne that hits off of Matip and then off the post and goes in. And then Liverpool fight back and, and get a goal after they really didn't start all that well. They get a goal off of a lovely attacking sequence. And then City go up 2-1 on a recycled corner with a cross-in from João Cancelo, which is just beautiful. And then you go into halftime thinking, okay, City might have Liverpool on the ropes here. And then Liverpool get a goal in the first 60 seconds out of the halftime break. And it's, it's Salah Tamane in behind Kyle Walker for that goal. This was phenomenal. It was so incredibly entertaining. And it, it definitely fit in that second category that you're talking about, Ryan, as being this relatively open, really energetic, end-to-end kind of game, even though both teams had certainly spells of more systematic possession. Graham, when we were talking, watching this game, it was the high lines that a lot of us were commenting on here. And there was kind of a difference between City's high line and Liverpool's high line. Whereas Liverpool didn't quite have the, do we want to call it the intensity or the conviction that you need to couple with playing that high up? Yeah, so we discussed this on, on the BR show yesterday, but Liverpool's high line gave them problems throughout this this match. And it was a feature of, of pretty much the, the whole match. There were times in the first half, uh, and I said this during the game to you, to you guys, Liverpool were so high at times in the first half that I, w- I wondered if whoever holds that line, it's probably Virgil van Dijk, I'd imagine, had kind of lost their bearings on the pitch and maybe they were a few yards too high. It just seemed it just seemed extreme at points. And and of course, Liverpool know how to use a high line. It's a key feature of their game under under Jurgen Klopp. But the problem here was that they just weren't applying any any pressure on the ball. So you had a situation where... Kevin De Bruyne, primarily, who was who was pulling a lot of the strings for, for Manchester City about 25, 30 yards out from goal, he was just being given so much time and space on the ball to pick passes in behind for Sterling, who played through the middle for, for City in this game, and Gabriel Jesus, who played on the right side somewhat surprisingly. And it just meant Liverpool were being turned time and time again, and it, and it really unsettled them, particularly in the first half where it felt like City could even blow, blow Liverpool away. They could get two or three goals up um, had they had their execution been slightly better. And it was clear from early on that this was this was very much a plan from Manchester City. They were targeting Liverpool's fullbacks and the space behind them, which is somewhat unusual for them because that's something you would ordinarily see from from Liverpool. That's what Liverpool do with Mane and Salah and and using. Um, I'm not going to say long balls, but longer passes into those areas to get those players in behind, and that's what City were trying to do. And usually they're a bit more intricate in their attacking patterns, but um, as I say, they were just they were putting the ball into larger spaces than would normally be the case, and asking Sterling and Jesus to use their physicality to get the better of Alexander Ar- Arnold and Robertson. And it's not often that you see Liverpool's defence so flustered. I thought Alexander-Arnold and Robertson, yes, they did what they normally do in terms of providing uh, a lot of creativity in the wide areas and deliveries into the box. But defensively, they, I thought they had a pretty poor game. Both of them had had poor games. And, and as I say, it's unusual that you see that. So City did a, a very good job of unsettling Liverpool. It's not often you see them play so many outside-in balls for Sterling and, and get their, their front line in behind uh, Liverpool. It was definitely a change in approach, but 
it worked to a certain extent and it created a lot of opportunities for them. And I, I agree with that, Graham. And then I would add on to it. I think if you look at the way City were set up, their average position at the end of the game was basically a 2-4-4 uh, in shape with Cancelo and Kyle Walker pushed up pretty high. You had uh, what, Phil Foden wide, you had Gabriel Jesus wide, and then you had the kind of midfield partnership of Kevin De Bruyne and Raheem Sterling, the one we all saw coming, the obvious front two, uh, that <laughs> couple. But I think what that effectively does is it forces Liverpool backwards a little bit. It makes them keep their fullbacks back because you've got those two wide attacks. But then with the advanced fullbacks, you're also making uh, Liverpool's wingers drop in and help defend. And so I think Liverpool trying to step out and be aggressive in pushing that line up was meant to sort of like shift the balance of power a little bit and make City have to drop off a little bit more and balance things out. But they kept those numbers there. And then they went for those long passes. Oh, Graham, uh, the phrase that we, I think, coined because we, we had that same consternation about long balls, by the way, was direct overpasses. There were a lot of direct okay. overpasses uh, for, for City like into the channel. like a road system, but okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, it, and it worked, I think, pretty effectively. And, and I'm with you that it could have been way worse for City, and it's a credit to Liverpool that they pull one back. Uh, and then end up pulling a second one back. So overall, I think a really entertaining game, but with a lot of little tactical nuance going on. Yeah, a lot of direct overpasses from the fullbacks uh, is a sentence I wasn't expecting to say today, <laughs> but here we are, Big T. Um, Joe, any standout performances for you in this game? thought Bernardo was very good, some really good passing, good, good work in, in combination with Rodri, I thought. Phil Foden, of course, was 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 very good. Kevin De Bruyne, how about, I've mentioned all City players there, Joe, but feel free to mention some Liverpool ones, but Kevin De Bruyne as man of the match had a pretty stellar outing, didn't he? He did. And Ryan, I think the fact that you mentioned so many City players is a fair representation of this game, right? Liverpool get the draw and they have a, a number of really good moments, but I think we all sort of felt that City were the better team and maybe were the ones that were a bit more disappointed with the draw because they, they certainly could have had three points in this game. So with De Bruyne, Ryan, he was electric at driving the ball forward and getting into space. City have this reputation, especially in contrast to Liverpool, as being more patient, as as being more or more metronomic in midfield. And De Bruyne does that stuff and he is patient and he does help circulate the ball and recycle possession, but he also runs right by you. In in the build-up to the Sterling chance in the fifth minute, he's the one who dinks the ball over, I believe, at Sadio Mane, and then combines a bit with Kyle Walker and drives the ball downfield. On the disallowed Sterling goal, he's the one who's receiving between the lines and then pushing play forward. He's so good at doing that stuff, and he's also good at the patient stuff as well. So De Bruyne was brilliant. The other player, Ryan, who you also mentioned that I wanted to spotlight— was Bernardo Silva. And I was just thinking about him before you even threw this question my way, so I'm glad you did. Guys, he just played the number nine midweek against Atletico Madrid. And then a few days later, he's playing as, not most often, but a lot of times in this game, he's playing as the deepest central midfielder, the deepest non-center back for Manchester City. He is hes just a perfect fit for this Pep Guardiola team, a team that we don't even really bat an eye when Gabriel Jesus is in the starting lineup after not being a really a key player for City at times this season. And, and we're not really all that surprised. I know we're a little surprised, but we're not shocked when Gabriel Jesus plays right wing because Pep does whatever he wants with the starting lineup, right? And Bernardo Silva is just another example of that. On a Tuesday, he can be playing as a nine and on a Saturday, he can be, or on a Sunday morning, excuse me, he can be playing as a deep lying creative distributor. I mean, Bernardo Silva is just next level. He is indeed. Graham, in our show notes, you've mentioned how City borrowed a lot of Liverpool's ideas for this game. And that's a really interesting point. It got me thinking because there was, there was a lot of, I'll call it Spider-Man meme moments in this game. Where I thought there was <laughs> some shared ideas, particularly at the start of the second half when they seem to switch roles as well. So my question for you is, how similar are these two systems when they're both in their prime in attacking mode like this? I think in this game, City's system was pretty pretty similar to to Liverpool's. I don't I don't think, generally speaking, their their system or, or approach is 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 that similar because obviously I think key to Liverpool's game is how they use the fullbacks as wide creators. And I I don't I think City's fullbacks are capable of doing that. Kyle Walker and Yao Cancelo start this game. They they could be wide wide creators if they wanted to be, but. Guardiola tends to push them a little bit more narrow and use the forwards as the players who who provide the width to create the space in the in the middle. So generally speaking, there are some differences between the approaches, but even in the way that Kevin De Bruyne 
So City, City had uh, uh, Bernardo and Rodri as kind of this midfield, this base. I'm not going to call it a double pivot because there was a bit more fluidity to it than that. But De Bruyne was slightly further ahead and he was the one breaking the lines. And I just think that is that is similar as well to the way that Liverpool will will use, will use set up their midfield. And sometimes this season it's been Harvey Elliott or Curtis Jones playing that kind of energetic, punching midfielder. Recently, Naby Keita has been playing that role. Obviously, he starts on, on the bench in this game. I think we might see him for the semi-final final uh, this weekend which of course is another City Liverpool game so that's another one to, to look forward to and I, I just feel like City had too much time on the ball and so maybe Kaita for Henderson is, is a change that could could address that but yeah absolutely City it was almost as if Guardiola looked at Liverpool's what they normally do in a game and say okay those things might wor- actually work quite well against Liverpool and you're right to mention Ryan at the start of the the second half it flipped a little bit where Liverpool were playing their usual game against City and it was working to to great effect. So it was almost like both teams wanted to do the same thing against each other. And strangely, for a team that doesn't normally play in the way that they did on Sunday, it was City rather than Liverpool who seemed to have more success with it. Taylor, at the end of the game, the managers embraced and there was a general, well, there was a consensus among some that both teams could be happy with this result. How do you feel about it? Who's happier here? I would contend that Man City would obviously be happier because they're ahead. And when you look at the remaining fixtures, Taylor, Liverpool's next two at Man United and against Everton. So the biggest rival and a Merseyside derby against a team that just beat Man United. So they've got a trickier run in to come as well. You've got to be happier if you're Pep in this situation, right? Yes. I like that you you started out by asking who's happier and then you pretty succinctly answered the uh, question. Yeah, I asked pep. you a question and answered pep. it in the question. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> you did. Uh, but but I think you could add on to it because I think it is definitely Pep. I think for the way that City were able to hold their position, I think they do have an easier run. And as Joe mentioned, there's a, like a little bit of experimentation here where Gabriel Jesus is brought back in. And it's a reminder that even if you're not uh, in the match day squad for a couple games, you could still be called right back in and expected to perform really well. And I think overall, Manchester City did just that. I will say, if you're Jurgen Klopp, there's probably an element of happiness that this didn't go the way it felt like it was going to go. Because at halftime, it felt like it could end up 4 or 5-1. It felt like this really could be a title declaration, a statement of intent of no one is catching us, we're Man City, we're blowing the doors off. And instead, you get what I'm assuming was a rousing very loud and probably expletive-laden halftime talk from Jurgen Klopp. Liverpool came out and basically took the game to Man City and and fought their way back into it and got the draw. And in that way, I think Liverpool will be pleased that they were able to, even with a very poor first half, have a strong second half and end up with a point. And that does keep things alive. It does keep things tighter. So maybe Liverpool a little bit happy, but I think Manchester City a lot bit happy. Graham, would you agree with that? Any more to say on this one? I think City are the happier, happier of the two teams, but given how they played, maybe it was a, a bit of a missed opportunity. I think we're all in agreement that they were the better team. They certainly did more to to, to push the issue, and Liverpool maybe es- were, were uh, thankful to escape with a point. But I, I I said this on the show yesterday. There's a bit of quite a lot of overlap between the I guess the the two analyses, but. I, I'm hopeful that we'll get some twists and turns between now and the end of the season, in which case this is the best possible outcome for me as a neutral, just because I want to see something entertaining. But I remember, I cast my mind back to two seasons ago where there was a, a similar situation with Liverpool and City in, in a title race, and they just won every single game from uh, for kind of the last two months of the season, and there were no twists and, twists and turns. So if we could avoid that, that, that would be good. I would like some twists and turns, please. That would be very good for the neutral indeed. Joseph Lowry, before we part this game and head to a break, would you like to strum the proverbial your banjo anymore on this one uh i don't i don't think so i don't have my banjo <laughs> with me otherwise i would ryan come on joe why don't you have it with you what's wrong with you oh you know different different spaces for different types of recordings ryan <laughs> you get it uh if, if you weren't watching the show yesterday listener uh joe had a banjo he played it it was spectacular um go back and watch it if you can <laughs> we're gonna take a very quick break when we come back more premier league and much more mls and all the rest of the continent coming up back soon Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp 
without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's talk more Premier League. Taylor Rockingwell, Everton 1, Manchester oh United 0. Yeah, Anthony Ass. Gordon getting the Skip. goal there. Uh, <laughs> Everton doing their best to avoid relegation since 1951 with this one. We mentioned the aforementioned incident with Cristiano Ronaldo afterwards. Uh, what in the heck happened, Taylor? Uh, United failed to score for the first time uh, in the Premier League for over a year. That's what happened. Uh, They did not have a very good game. I will say I watched this game very much from a Manchester United perspective, so I can't even say really that Everton had a particularly good game because they had good moments. They fought. They worked really, really, really hard, and they did a really good job of fighting for every ball, trying to get blocks in, heading it clear. It was a strong defensive display, especially as the game went on. But for Manchester United, it was just kind of the same old, same old. It was a lack of ideas. It was a lack of consistency. Even Everton's goal comes from Man United in possession. It's a ball from Fred to Matic. And Matic, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if someone told him time, if he thought they were like resetting or something. But he just takes a very lackadaisical touch. He gets robbed. Everton go right back the other way. Ball comes in, ball pops out, uh, ball is shot by Anthony Gordon, ball deflects and goes into the net, 1-0 to Everton, and that's pretty much the way it stayed. And you could see the frustration from Manchester United as the game goes on, but there's not a huge fight back, there's not that kind of, we're going to keep going and keep going and keep grinding and make something happen. Uh, Marcus Rashford brought off early in the second half, or relatively early in the second half, and I thought that might have been a mistake, given that he did seem to be a pretty energetic player for Man United. Meanwhile, Bruno, Jaden Sancho, and Ronaldo combined for an XG of, I believe, 0.18. Uh, no, 0.24, Yikes. excuse me, between the three of them. Not not a great performance for Manchester United, yeah. and it continues to kind of lend credence to the idea that all is not right in the state of Manchester United. That, that expected goals value is even worse when you consider that this is an Everton team that had conceded nine goals in three games before this, this match. and it, it just felt like United barely troubled Jordan Pickford. Um, which is is not ideal at all. Yeah, Graham, I actually backed uh, a draw in this game. I thought Everton would really need the points. Obviously, they do. And um, it was a good opponent to get some against, given their circumstance. But uh, is everything fine and dandy with Frank Lampard's Everton right now? Still no, <laughs> I would say. I totally agree with Taylor in that I, I don't feel like Everton actually played that well in this game which is which is damning of how Manchester United played but they did do one thing well and that was they figured out early on that Man United don't like players driving driving at them from wide areas or or any area to be honest but they <laughs> they gave the ball to Gordon as often as possible and he has been the one bright spot of Everton's entire season to be honest he's he's fearless which is helpful for for a club that is currently paralysed in, in fear of going down, of suffering relegation. He's raw, but I think that element of unpredictability to uh, that he adds to Everton's attack is really valuable because they don't really have that in any other area. So just a uh, new plan, Everton. Just give the ball to Anthony Gordon and maybe you'll be safe. So what you're saying is, Gordon's alive! <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Um, Arsenal 1, Brighton 2. Arsenal having a pretty... Uh, a controversial goal chalked off by VAR quite tedious that was uh, the second goal from Wepi was a bit of a rocket Graham Potter using a 3-3-3-1 it seemed Taylor 
Yeah, and and getting the the getting the best out of uh, a strong Brighton team with strong reinforcements. I sort of forgot that Cucurella was at Brighton. He made that move this summer. Mwepu, I remembered because he's one of my my ever present FIFA signings, but now I can't because he moved to Brighton already. Um, and that's in place of Ben White, who started for Arsenal in this game, who they sold for $64 million. So I think to to sell a player on and then beat that player's new team uh, with your new signings looking very, very good and rock solid throughout has to feel pretty good for Graham Potter and Brighton, who I thought were deserved winners, even if Arsenal might feel hard done uh, by some of the decisions, some of the way the game went. Uh, Southampton nil, Chelsea six. S I X. Wow, two. Uh, they certainly took out their anger on Southampton. Did Chelsea, given their recent form, they do have a very good record against Southampton, of course. Um, J- uh, Graham, what did you make of this one? Two from Mount and Werner, Alonso and Herberts on the scoreline. Two. Yeah, Southampton were due their uh, seasonal hammering, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the, and and it was a, it was a strong response by Chelsea. A few changes by by Tuchel, and the one thing I really liked. I, uh, I'm going to add to my reputation as the Timo Werner apologist here, but I really liked Werner playing alongside Kai Havertz in, in a front two. And I said at the start of the season that Werner might potentially work as a Lataro Martinez alongside Lukaku. Obviously, it hasn't worked for Lukaku, but that was the role that Werner played here with Havertz in, instead. Instead, And obviously, it helped South, the, uh, Southampton gave Chelsea so much space in transition, but Werner was a, a threat throughout. He scores twice here. But even even in this performance, he is still very Timo Werner hitting the woodwork three times. Three times. From offside positions? <laughs> that, yeah, that would have been the full Timo Werner. You know how a few, a few weeks ago we did uh, players that, that have a hat trick of, uh, of things that you call it, like the Timo Werner or, or whatever? That's a Timo Werner. Two offsides and, and a, a three hit in the woodwork three times and three offsides as well. <laughs> Aston Villa nil, Tottenham four. Uh, Hyungmin Son hat-trick here and Kulishevsky on the score sheet. Two, an eighth win in a row for Tottenham, who pulled three points clear of Arsenal in the race for fourth place. Uh, Aston Villa's XG 1.66, Tottenham's 0.88, it said on the interwebs, Graham. That's confusing. It is confusing. And this, this was a peculiar match because it felt like Villa did a... A good job of pressing high in the first half. They had good opportunities to score as that expected goals value uh, illustrates. But the way that Kane, Kulisevsky and Son work in transition, particularly in the second half of this game, that they're just so good. And I'm not saying anything new here because we already know this, but Kane and Son in particular, uh, they're just they're just they're just on the same wavelength. And I, th- I think Conte already has such an advantage with those two in his team. If Spurs and Conte can give structure to the rest of the team then Kane and Son as a duo just always give you a chance. And it feels like they have turned a corner recently, four wins in a row for Spurs up into that top four position. Um, and I feel a bit foolish because I wrote off their top four chances after losing to my United a few weeks ago. But things have changed and they're very much heading in the right direction now. Uh, who's not heading in the right direction, Graham, is Watford. Watford nil leads three. Roy Hodgson's never been relegated, but he's running out of time here. They're six points off the pace. Their ninth successive home defeat this was for Watford. But another big win for Mr. Marsh. Mr. Jesse Marsh, of course. Leeds have only dropped two points in their last four matches. Uh, Norwich 2, Burnley nil. Another big game in the relegation battle here. Um, Norwich staying alive for their first win in nine games, but they are still bottom. Only three points, Graham, separating the bottom three. That's an exciting race at the other end, isn't it? Uh, it would be if I didn't have the suspicion that the three that are in the bottom three are going down. <laughs> All right, then. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan wanted you to say something very different than that. <laughs> yes, yes, does anyone did. disagree? Those are the nope. three teams that are going down, isn't it? Yeah, and Man City yeah. winning, whatever. I just yeah, don't know that much. I can get excited about a relegation battle. I don't think that's how this works. Oh, you're so MLS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What even is relegation? I, I don't think that should be a thing. Uh, that's that sarcasm. Note. Just real quick, that's sarcasm. Good it gracious. wasn't. Get him, Twitter. <laughs> Either way, we're going to turn our attention to MLS right now. LA Galaxy 2, LAFC. This one, Joe's off in a pretty wild game. This one was no exception, I would say. Chicharito coming up against Carlos Vela in this one. Uh, some pretty significant drama in the 97th minute when LAFC appeared to equalise, but it was ruled out. Uh, St- Steve John Dallo on um, the uh, Sunday broadcast for the Charlotte game came on and was speaking on uh, about how unhappy he was about that decision and a couple of others. Joe, what'd you make of this one? 
This was a really entertaining game. A lot of talent on the field, some some key players, one especially in Mark Delgado missing for the Galaxy, but tons of quality on the field. It's fun to see Chicharito and Vela play against each other. It's the first time that's ever happened in MLS. Chicharito's on fire. He's got five goals this season, a ton of XG. He certainly had one in this game off of a really nice move towards the back post, and Samuel Grancier plays a really good ball into that space, and, and the Galaxy go up one nothing early. You have good patterns of play, good sequences, and then you also have the pure chaos. Ryan, you talked about that that goal that was disallowed in deep second-half stoppage time. From everything I've read and understand, I think that was the right call, but please don't ask me to articulate why that is. Uh, I, I think the referees did end up getting that one correct, but there was also a, a ton of other sequences in this game that, that were just so close to turning into goals, especially for LAFC. Carlos Vela, it's the woodwork. He was getting him behind. I mean, he had a number of different chances or or chances that looked like chances and then were disallowed. So this game, I mean, it was not probably the craziest El Trafico of all time, but it certainly lived up to the El Trafico type of, of game that we expect to see. A very enjoyable game, though, Taylor, wasn't it, this one? Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and it really, I think it's because I watched the pregame show and they did a good job of sort of building the hype, building the sense that these two fan bases do not like each other. I do feel bad for the one woman who... I think dropped the audio bomb of all Chicharito does is stand in the middle of the field and wait for the ball to come to him. That's not that impressive. Like Carlos Vela actually works for it. And then Chicharito did exactly that to score the opener <laughs> and did it pretty successfully because, man, he is good at that run. Uh, but it, And then I think the atmosphere, the players themselves got a little kicky at times. And, it, and you could get that feeling that they just they don't really like each other, that they both would prefer to be the dominant team in L.A. They don't love the other team's branding or approach or maybe some shots that have been taken. And it felt like a proper rivalry. It felt like a high-intensity rivalry once uh, LAFC were able to get there. Probably what should have been a legal first goal, uh, and then definitely a legal second goal. Um, but the sort of energy in those final 20 minutes made it so exciting, and it did feel like LAFC were going to make something happen. And when they did, it felt deserved. It felt like, yeah, they've been driving, they've been grinding, they've been finding the way through, and they finally get that equalizer and then it's pulled back for VAR, and it felt unfair in the moment. It still feels sort of unfair now, although it is, I agree with Joe, the right decision once you look at the way it's explained out and the rules of the game. Indeed. Graham, uh, a lot of fun this game, as we've established. Um, LAFC don't actually have a wonderful record in El Trafico. They've only won this game once in the last seven attempts. Uh, I was pleased they actually backed a a Galaxy win with both teams to score, which is what came to pass here. Um, what was it that the Galaxy did to get the edge, do you think? Yeah, so I thought it was clever of, of Greg Vanny to not to match up to LAFC in terms of having his team control the ball in, in midfield. That was always going to be difficult without, as Joe mentioned, Mark Delgado, who was suspended for this game. And so the, the Galaxy were generally happy to let LAFC have the ball in, in central areas. That worked uh, well in the first half in particular, and it's certainly true that the Galaxy rode their luck at times. Vela managed to isolate his his man in one-on-one situations a number of times. And it felt like at points the Galaxy were living on the edge. Of course, LAFC have two goals disallowed for offsides. Um, and with those sort of goals, you could say, well, the Galaxy kept a, a good line. But it, it doesn't take much for that not to be the case. So, as I say, on the on the edge at times... I'm not sure the Galaxy did a brilliant job of managing the game in in the second half. It felt like LAFC were sending forward wave after wave of attack and and Vanny admitted that after the game. But I guess that's that's Derby soccer and and they did just about enough to to get over the line. The way that they created the the, the first goal for for Chicharito, I have to mention the the movement of Javi Hernandez for, for that goal. The way he scores that opening goal is quintessential Chicharito, the way he draws a defender into him and then loses him by kind of drifting around the back. And obviously it depends on a good delivery reaching him, but the the Galaxy are finding him this season because obviously he scores a similar goal against Portland um, two weeks ago or whenever that was. And it wasn't similar in terms of the way he, of how he scored it because he uses his uh, his head in, in this game and he kind of outstretched a, a leg in Portland. But in the way he creates that space for himself, and I'm just not sure there are many centre forwards better at that sort of movement than than Chicharito he's made an entire career out of it and at this stage of his career that movement is more important than ever and I think the Galaxy as I say are doing a really good job of of giving him that supply line they did it in this match obviously I'm going to highlight um, Edwards 
obviously there was a bit of focus on him in this game given his history for, for LAFC but I thought this game underlined why he is so important to, to the Galaxy and I think he could be one of the signings of, of, of the season in MLS I think Taylor maybe in our MLS previews you, you said that, that that might be the case so uh, credit to you that is that is panning out that way and he just he gives the Galaxy a funnel into the final third the mobility he provides in getting forward he's got three assists in six games he doesn't register one in this game but his, his, uh, his relationship with Grand Sierra down, down the left side he gets two assists in this game including that one for, for Hernandez um, to open the scoring down that left side the Galaxy they just have a, a bit of an outlet so even when LA, LAFC are applying pressure they always had a way to get out so I, I just feel like the Galaxy, even when they're maybe not managing the game as well as they could, they have the players to make the difference. And, and I guess that was the difference in, in this match. Yeah, definitely. So I've got to say, he was a player I was about to bring up, Raheem Edwards, because I, to my discredit, I don't think I paid much attention to him before. But T- Taylor, he he did look fantastic in this one, didn't he? He absolutely did. I think I should give credit to Joe, though. Joe, is that your prediction that you were hyped on Edwards? I'm not going to lie. I don't remember. I don't think so. But I mean, I will take some credit because I just wrote about him just take the in, credit, in my column last week. So so yeah. Yeah. Yes, it was me. It was I. I did. Well done, Maybe Joe. that was me. I don't remember, man. Wow. We watch way too much soccer. Uh, either way. Yes, I think he was. Maybe it was. Now I have a vague memory of being excited about the Galaxy's fullbacks. So that might have been me. Graham, I apologize. Gra- Joe, in your face. Don't try to steal credit from me. Uh, no, yeah. it's already no, stolen. I think. I think, and I think I agree with Graham as well that this felt like a game where I had to keep reminding myself which coach was managing which team because the Galaxy burned through their subs and were sort of hanging on there at the end, and it did feel like, ooh, did did they get some substitutions wrong? Did they not quite get the game plan correct? Whereas uh, Steve Tarendolo in his first season with LAFC. He makes the changes, he pushes the team on, they keep fighting, they keep fighting, and it felt like they were going to get that equalizer. They don't end up doing so, and I'm sure that that could be a catalyst for them to be motivated for the rest of the season and feel like they've got a chip on their shoulder. But I think also for the Galaxy, it can feel like we just got a big win uh, against our crosstown rivals who are going to feel pretty deflated by the way things played out. Uh, So I think overall just a really fun game, a nice palate cleanser for me because I watched this one after the the Man City Liverpool game, which itself was a great game, but a reminder how far Manchester United are behind those two teams. You didn't tune straight into Charlotte Atlanta, you mean? Uh, I, I watched the uh, I watched the Olympico. I know that mm. made you happy, Ryan. Do you want to talk about that? I would like to talk, that, talk about that in great detail. But one more note: I'll come to Joe on this uh, El Trafico game. Um, Joe, how hard done by early FC by that result? Because uh, coach uh, Gerondolo seemed pretty uh, cheesed off when he was speaking after, uh, given the instance that occurred there. And are we still confident in LAFC being pretty high up the echelon of the Western Conference? They're They're now no longer undefeated, of course. I don't think LAFC were all that hard done by in this game. I don't think they can do a ton of complaining, or at least they should do a ton of complaining about this result. Because... All of the, all of those refereeing decisions aside, they're still in a fine position overall, right? So setting this entire game aside, Ryan, to the second half of that question, I guess. LAFC are still a really good team. They have 13 points from six games. They're currently second in the Supporters' Shield rankings behind the Philadelphia Union. The Galaxy as well are a very, very good team. Both of these teams, I think, can do some real damage in terms of competing for the Shield and in terms of maybe even making a run in MLS Cup. Of course, MLS Cup is borderline random, but... I mean, both of these teams have a ton of talent. We didn't see either one of them at their best, I would say. We haven't mentioned Brian Rodriguez going off inside the first 10 minutes. He left with an injury. It looks like a hamstring issue. And so Ishmael Tajiri Shradi comes on in this game. So LAFC weren't at, weren't at full strength, and the Galaxy weren't either. These are two very good teams. Greg Vanny has done a fantastic job re- remaking, really, this entire Galaxy team over the last year and change. And early signs are are okay under Steve Sharondolo. The LAFC team has a ton of talent, and they have some issues, I think, playing through central midfield, and I don't know how much luck they had breaking down the Galaxy when the Galaxy were organized, like Graham talked about, in that defensive shape. But man, they're lethal in transition. They have so much quality. Carlos Vela is is maybe not the same player he used to be, but he's still a difference maker in MLS when he's on the field. So I, I think both of these teams are in good shape heading out of this weekend. The Galaxy are just a bit happier with how things went. 
Indeed. Another excellent El Trafico for the neutral. Joe, now is the time you have the floor to go off on Jordi Alcivar's Olympico in Charlotte 1 Atlanta nil. This still happened just four weeks after Atlanta nabbed a last-minute win at their um, stadium in Georgia with the cheap concessions and the sphincter roof. I was there four weeks ago. Um, yeah, yeah, have you seen it, Graham? Have you seen the way it opens? Anyway. Oh, um... just ruined that whole stadium for me. Until now, I like that stadium. It's, it's a lovely stadium, but it has a roof that looks like that anyway i've said that word too much joe charlotte's third win now uh they're in fifth place uh how do your uh, preseason predictions feeling <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that i knew you were gonna say that ryan this was a good win for charlotte they played well the olympico was beautiful and, and fun and it's it's a really incredible bit of skill from jordi alcivar if if he means it i'm not sure if we'll ever find out or not Braguzan can't stop that one from going into the back of the net. So that's an exciting performance. I, I honestly was more attracted to a lot of the on-field play, like like in open play from Charlotte. They've really settled into that 4-4-2 diamond. They seem to be progressing play fairly well. They had some nice bits of combination, some good runs off the ball. They progressed the ball down the wings well in this game, I think, for stretches. Atlanta United, for their part, are are just so far removed from the Atlanta United that was so fun coming into MLS. They have changed a number of different times, and they're still clearly searching for their identity under Gonzalo Pineda. Not their best performance, but they also weren't you know, played off the field. I'm not sure that Charlotte was better than Atlanta. They just got that that fluke, but still wonderful goal from Jordi Alcivar. Ryan, what did you think of that goal? Because if anyone's going to wax poetic about this goal, it's going to be you. It was an Olympico, Joe. There's no bad Olympicos. True. True. <laughs> Apart from the that. ones that the goalkeeper should save. Which Maybe is probably so. all Maybe. of them. I mean, I think that exactly. <laughs> he got a hand to it, didn't he? If I remember correctly. Yeah, he did. So, he did. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was very good all the same and a very enjoyable afternoon. I think it was good to show that Charlotte have the uh, the ability to grind when Atlanta was throwing the kitchen sink at them as well. So I was, I was very impressed with that. I still think Ben Bender's the real deal as well. I think that's been one of the biggest parts of Charlotte's season, actually, the way he's um, taken to the leagues. Very happy with that, Joseph. I mean, who else is happy? It's the Philadelphia Union, now the only unbeaten team in Major League Soccer. A 1-0 win over Columbus, Joe. Yeah, they're doing their thing right now, Philly. Five straight wins, I believe, and they are top of the Supporter Shield rankings. They're not always like like totally dominant, but the Union, I'm not sure with the way they play, are trying to do that in a traditional like smother you with possession kind of sense. They come out and get a one no win over Columbus on Saturday, and they look they look good, guys. They look really really good. They get an own goal from Eli Room who uh, did not do well claiming a cross, did a lot worse than Braguzan. He, he literally just shoves it into the back of his own net. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like that, to be completely honest. But the Union are are scary. They have a number of different center forwards that they're trying to figure out who pairs well with who. Daniel Gazdag's been producing as a 10, even though I'm not sold on him as a really as a player at all. But this Union team under Jim Curtin continues to find ways to get results. It starts in the back with Andre Blake, and they are really strong in those defensive areas. So credit to the Union, who are very much doing their thing out in the Eastern Conference. Another team, fellas, that got uh, another win this weekend, or got a win this weekend, is Inter-Miami. They get their first win of the season, beating the New England Revolution 3-2. This was a bit of a back-and-forth game. Pixel pretty entertaining happen. one, to be completely honest. <laughs> and, and Miami get a result with Gonzalo Higuain sitting in the stands and not looking at all excited when his team scores as the camera pans to Ouch. him. Incredible television in this game. Campana gets a hat trick here. and, and uh, The Revs are in trouble, guys. The Revs are in a decent amount of trouble. They've lost a handful of games in a row now in a way that Bruce Arena has just never done in Major League Soccer. You're starting to see the cracks that were there last season, but Matt Turner papered over a ton of those. The Revs, without Gustavo Bo and, and Adam Buxa, who they, they were missing in this game, Bo's injured and Buxa was suspended with a red card, they're not the same team. And I'm not even sure they're going to be the same team as they were last season. I think there are real systemic issues there that uh, didn't matter as much because the Revs kept finding a way to get results last season, but eventually their luck was going to run out. And it kind of looks to me like it has already been running out this season. That was poorly phrased, but you get the idea. Uh, Joe, is the solution to revert back to the old logo? Yes, yes. Get rid of actually quite like the new one, to be to be frank. I think it's really, really good. But maybe maybe they need to just go back and reset everything to the way it was last season. So go out and rebuy Tejan Buchanan, get him back from Belgium. Just just reset the whole darn thing. Let's reset the whole darn thing. And let's reset for a very quick break. When we come back, we're gonna round up the rest of Europe and talk about it a little bit more. We'll be back very shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attentions to La Liga and the best Graham who covers this league. Uh, Graham, let's start with Mallorca 1, Atletico <laughs> Madrid 0. Bit of a shocker for Atleti here, who had a lot of players rested, of course, for the uh, second leg of their Champions League, which is coming up. But uh, yikes, Mallorca getting out of the relegation zone with this one. Yeah, as you say there, Simeone, he made a, a whole raft of, of changes for this match and it didn't pay off at all. This was a, a very poor performance by Atleti. Um, you could say maybe they had opportunities to win it, but it wasn't. It wasn't like they were dominant at any point in this match. Real Mallorca um, will feel that they almost deserved to to win the match. I'm not sure how bothered Atleti will be by this result because they do have their focus on that second leg in the Champions League against Manchester City this week. But they they do need to be careful. They can't take their top four place for granted because there's now just one point between them and and Real Betis in, in fifth. And it was only just a few weeks ago, or I should say a few months ago, that, that Atleti, it felt like maybe they weren't going to finish in the top four. So they can't be complacent in that regard. So maybe I would suggest that maybe they don't have a few more games in them this season where they can basically field an entirely new team. They need to keep the momentum going in La Liga. Very smart. Uh, elsewhere in Madrid, Real Madrid 2, Hetafe nil. Casemiro and Lucas Vazquez getting on the score sheet, Graham. And Gareth Bale leaving the 7-9 yeah. in his trunk to actually play some games here. Wow. His first appearance at the Bernabeu for over two years. So keep in mind that Real Madrid last season played all their their home games at the uh, Alfredo de Stefano Stadium out at Valdebebas at their training ground because the Bernabeu is undergoing redevelopment work. It's still undergoing a lot of work at the moment. They are back playing games at the Bernabeu. So he hadn't played at Real Madrid's home stadium for two years. You would think maybe the Real Madrid fans would give him give him a nice reception <laughs> to welcome him back. Uh, they did not. No. A lot of booze. Uh, and in general, this was a, a, a fairly routine win for Real Madrid. As you say, goals from Casemiro, Vazquez in control for the majority of the match. Booze for Gareth Bale. So all in all, a normal day at the office for Real Madrid. <laughs> Do you think, because um, Bale did play at Stamford Bridge as well for a few minutes as well. Do you think Ancelotti's punishing him by making him uh, suit up? <laughs> what just to face the booze yeah from his own fans just maybe yeah. maybe it's a disciplinary action to actually make him play for Real Madrid I don't know just a thought 
Seems almost kind of medieval, like make him stand in the town square and just take tomatoes. <laughs> exactly, put him in the stocks. Uh, Levante 2, Barcelona 3. Barca leaving it pretty late here, a 90-second minute winner from Luke de Jong, uh, getting Barca the win, and who gave away all... They gave away three penalties in this one and still won, Graham. Goodness me. And the strange thing is Barcelona hadn't conceded a single penalty until this game, and then three in one game. Game. This this was a hugely entertaining match. This is what I watched on on uh, on Sunday night, and uh, Barcelona did just enough to squeeze three points out of it. They are in incredible form at the moment. It's um it's a real shame that Levante are going to get relegated this season because they play some brilliant football, and I can't really recall a, a team. That is that is so certain to be relegated that everyone in Spanish football is is disappointed is going down because they're always entertaining to watch. They went toe to toe with Barcelona here, and it looked like they were going to get something out of the game until Pedri and Gavi, who were both rested for this match, they come off the bench. Barcelona click into gear. Pedri scores uh, the goal to put Barcelona two one up. Then Levante make it two all, and then Luke Luke de Jong, um, Luke de Goal, as Barcelona fans call him. He scores in stoppage time to 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 claim the points. But Pedri, we have to talk about Pedri, right? He's got three goals in his last five games for Barcelona, and that was always the thing with Pedri. He's been he's always been a brilliant creator, brilliant on the ball, but he didn't always finish well. If he's added goals to his games, the rest of football, the rest of European football, Spanish football as well, they better watch out because he potentially could be the best player if, in the world if he has added goals Ooh. to his game, and it looks like it looks like he has. See, Graham, you say that, but and, and I know where you're coming from because it's Pedro and Gavi come on, they combine for the uh, second goal. It's all very exciting, and, and you want to believe that Barcelona have learned their lesson. They've righted the ship. They know now we can't overspend. We've got to live within our means. We're going to bring through <laughs> academy players and do smart things, and I want to be sort of excited for what the future holds for a young team with some stars brought in and some reclamation projects, and I'm just picturing a scenario in which like, you run into uh, Laporta there, and you're talking to him about, like, hey, things are going great, and he's sort of half paying attention to you, half filling out a bunch of paperwork, and you slowly realize as you look at the papers that it's just all of the names that Barcelona are suddenly linked with, and you feel like maybe they're going to make some of the same mistakes. You get one transfer window right, and now there, Graham, please feel to add in uh, some of the names we talked about uh, being linked to the to Barcelona or connected to them strongly would be, as of today, Robert Lewandowski. There is Frank Kessie. There's Aspilicueta. There's Masrawi. It just seems like they're linked with so many names coming in. Holland. I don't know if they've learned their lesson fully quite yet. Off to the Bundesliga we go. Bayern Munich 1, Augsburg nil. Uh, Robert Lewandowski gaining a penalty with eight minutes to go. Um, Ricardo Pepe coming on for the last 30 minutes here. Taylor, I put Ricardo Pepe in my notes every week when we talk about the Bundesliga. I don't know why I keep doing it. I'm sorry. Yeah, what, what are you putting in your notes? That he came on and didn't do anything or that ah. it was an unused sub usually. Yeah, I mean, he ran around a lot. There was a lot of hassling. It was a relatively good performance for Augsburg as they only lost 1-0 to Bayern Munich, who will go on to win the title, uh, but at the same time, I think, have some questions. And maybe that's where the Robert Lewandowski wants out rumors have come from. I still don't fully believe those. Uh, but Lewandowski, uh, like converting that penalty late was the difference for them. But overall for Bayern, to not get many opportunities, uh, to not really threaten Augsburg that much. I think they had 68% of possession, 591 accurate passes, 88% of those were accurate, but then you only have four shots on target, one goal from a penalty. It feels like another sort of meh performance from Bayern Munich in what may end up being a meh season, which is an odd thing to say about a team that are probably going to win the title. But given what expectations are for this club, it's the same type of situation that Niko Kovac found himself in. I don't think Julian Nagelsmann is anywhere close to that, but they've sacked managers previously for winning the league, but not doing so in emphatic fashion or not making mm. the team as happy as they could be. And again, I don't think Nagelsmann is on that path, but I think there is a strange situation at Bayern Munich in which maybe they need to sort of decide if they want to be Nagelsmann's identity, if they want to be a Nagelsmann club. And if so, maybe that means investing more in his vision and letting some players move on as opposed to holding on to players because they've decided they should work. That's what forced Hansi Flick out, for example. So I think Bayern still at a bit of a crossroads about what their identity is going to be and how they're going to move forward. But that's still within the context of them winning the title. So strange times in the Bundesliga. 
Indeed. RB Leipzig 3, Hoffenheim 0. Uh, RB Leipzig getting a big win on a weekend where they were leaked to Eric Ten Hag as a potential next manager. We're not quite sure the validity of that one. Uh, Stuttgart 0, Borussia Dortmund 2. Julian Brandt with a brace. Overshadowed Joe Lowry by a hamstring injury from Gio Reyna going off uh, very early in this game with tears in his eyes. That was a tough watch, Joe. Yeah, he's out for the rest of the season for Dortmund. And that's it's a little ambiguous because there's not that much time left in the season, so we don't know exactly what the severity is of that injury. We don't know how long he's going to be out for, but it will be at least a month. And it feels like it's going to be longer when you consider his reaction and, and maybe more than that, his injury history. So this is a, a really brutal moment for Giorena where you almost just set everything else aside and feel for him as as a person and as a very young Soccer player who's dealt with so many injuries this season, all the way back to September, like like almost the beginning of the calendar soccer season for Borussia Dortmund, getting injured on international duty with the U.S., missed a bunch of time, just worked his way back in, then went back to international duty with the U.S. last window and, and just has not been able to stay healthy for any period of time. It's brutal for him. I'm still hopeful slash optimistic that maybe he'll be back for the U.S. by June and we can see some different looks where he plays in, in maybe that number eight role for Greg Berhalter against either Uruguay or against El Salvador or whoever in, in that June window. But at this point, it seems too early to really know and, and maybe the most important thing, I should say the most important thing, not maybe, is, is just wishing that Gio Reyna would, would be healthy and that, that he'd have a smooth recovery process. Indeed, we wish him all the best, uh, England's Gio Reyna. Um, <laughs> Serie A, Serie A, let's move over there. Graham, a league where I'm not sure anyone wants to win it. Uh, Torino <laughs> nil, AC Milan nil, their second consecutive goalless draw for Milan, um, who are leading the league, but eh, I don't know. What a weird season this has been in Serie A. Hugely entertaining, but you are right, it feels like nobody wants to wants to win it at the moment. They're kind of stumbling over each other. Uh, a few weeks ago, we thought Inter were the ones that were fading in the title race. Now it looks to be AC Milan. This was their, their second goalless draw in succession. As they, as you say, they they draw nil nil with Torino here. They draw nil nil with Bologna the week before that, and it's almost as if Milan have have run out of ideas a little bit. In this game, it doesn't help them that Bremer has a has a brilliant game at centre back for for Torino. He's a player who's been linked with a number of big big Premier League teams. It wouldn't be surprising to me to see him on the move, but nonetheless. AC Milan need to be better against mid-table teams. They have stumbled a number of times against uh, opponents of this of this caliber, and it now feels like maybe Inter are are the ones who are in control after we all wrote them off about two weeks ago. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, uh, Milan are two points clear of Inter at the moment. Only two points between the top three sides as well. Inter getting a two-nil win over Verona this week, and uh, Barella and Jeco with the goals, Graham. Yeah, and this this was a, a fairly routine victory for Inter they were in control after two first half goals as as you say they're from Barella and, and, and Zeko and all of a sudden thanks to results elsewhere we should mention this just for, for the sake of clarity Inter can go top of Serie A if they win their game in hand they've played 31 games AC Milan have played 32 games so if they win that game in hand they go to the top of, of Serie A. It does feel like with Zeko finding a little bit of form Zeko had a brilliant first half of the season and then faded a little bit it's almost like Inter in a lot of their performances forgot that they were playing with Eden Zeko up front and not Romelu Lukaku. All of a sudden, they have remembered that Zeko needs slightly different things as a centre forward than Lukaku, and and they have picked up a little bit. Obviously, they beat Juventus last weekend in a game that mm, maybe they didn't deserve to win, but nonetheless, they come away with three points and they backed it up here against Verona, which was very important that they did so. It was indeed. Napoli could have been top of the table at the end of this weekend, Graham, had they have beaten Fiorentina at home, which one would expect them to probably do. Uh, they did not. A 3-2 loss at home to Fiorentina for the Neapolitans. And stating the obvious here, a hugely costly defeat for them, given AC Milan dropped points later in the day. A win here would have put them top outright for the first time, I think, since November or, or December. Um, however, a, a defeat leaves them in third place. So the fact that they, they could have gone top and now they're in third kind of illustrates how tight it is at the at the top of Serie A. Fiorentina in this game, they just found it too easy to, to get in behind Napoli when they were when they were chasing the game. And if Napoli don't win the Scudetto this season, and it really does feel like a golden opportunity for them, their, their best opportunity certainly since Maurizio Sarri was at the club. If they fall short, it will be their comparably poor home record that costs them. If you look at their home record in Serie A, they only have the, the seventh best home record in the, in the whole division this season. There have been a, f- a few too many slip-ups of this kind. 
Uh, Juventus getting a 2-1 win at Cagliari. A comeback win this was with Dusan Vlavic getting the winner, Graham. Juventus are on 62 points, a little bit behind the pack. Four points off the pace with, what is it, six games to go? Could could they still be in the race too? They, they're they just about still in the race. They look to be dead and buried in the title race after that, that loss to, to Inter last weekend. But as you say, just six points back. Of the of the four teams in the title race, you would maybe say Juventus are just about in in the best form actually since we've mentioned this a number of times already. But since Vlaovic has has come into the into the team, there's just a little bit better balance. They're getting more out of players like DiBala, um, and Quadrado has has a reasonably good game here. But um, they've probably left it slightly slightly too late, and they're maybe building towards ne- next season. But nonetheless, a, a good comeback win here. Cagliari take the, the lead through a brilliant Gio Pedro strike, and then there's a delict header and, and a fairly fortunate finish by by Vlaovic. So they, they do there is a bit of spirit in that team, which wasn't always the case in the first half of the season. All right, Calcio check. One more game I wanted to mention today. PSG getting a 6-1 win over Clermont uh, this weekend. Neymar getting a hat-trick, Mbappe getting a hat-trick, Lionel Messi getting a hat-trick of assists. Um, Graham, where does that sit on the Werner hat-trick radar if he gets a hat-trick of assists in a game where two of his colleagues also got (laughs) hat-tricks? Well, I think it actually reflects the the role that Messi is now playing for this this PSG team. He hasn't been much of a goal scorer in in league league one, certainly by his his own standards. But um, he he is the guy who's picking the passes for Neymar and and certainly Mbappe to get in behind. And between those three players, Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar, they've got eleven goals and eight assists in their last two league one games. PSG also smashed Lorient in the game before this one against uh, Clermont. And you could say, well, they're playing mediocre teams, but this is the sort of thing that they weren't doing earlier in the season against these mediocre teams in, in Ligue 1. So it kind of proves to me the form that PSG, I know it's a very small sample size, it's two games, but I have watched both of those games and they have been very impressive. And in particular, that front three have been very impressive. It kind of proves to me that PSG's problem is primarily a mental one, as unbalanced as that team is and that midfield and attack is. It does very much feel like it's a lot of the, the issues they have are in the are in the character of that team and in their their mentality, and now the pressure is off and their season is pretty much over. They're they're playing their best uh, football of the whole season. This is the best I've seen of PSG in their in their last two games. So, yeah, not 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 ideal that their season is over, but I guess it's good that we're seeing something from them at, 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 under uh, Pochettino. They're just making it so that Poch has to stay. Is that what they're doing? <laughs> Ultimate punishment, yeah. <laughs> the ultimate punishment, indeed. Uh, we have Weekend Review. Gents, thank you very much. Graham, thank you so much for your time on this pod. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Thank you very much. Joe, 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 Joe. <laughs> you got it, Ryan. <laughs> and Taylor Rockwell, thank you as always, sir. Right, I got you, buddy. Listener, we'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.